you can't train people. That comes down to family education. But number one, once they have the discipline, then what we do is we motivate them by paying them more. But I also expect more from you. So I hire five, but we work like we are ten people, and we pay them eight. So it becomes a win-win. I don't have to pay you less. I can pay you more than what the market is paying. But you are more than happy and willingly work more than you're supposed to, and he doesn't mean the hours. He meant it by productivity level. So his meal with the same number of people, the productivity level is way higher than other meals. Their shift starts at eight. The people will be there at seven thirty to prepare and start planning. And by eight is work. It's not planning. You start work. You start work. And because of that, I try to implement the same philosophy here. That's why. I'm not your father. <laughs> That's how it came about, right? I'm not your father because, as an owner, as an employer, there's only that much I can do. Hey, Simis, welcome to episode 122, part two of the Sir, This Is My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer Lingya, and today we have Mr. Money TV, aka Peter Yang, back on the pod. Now, if you haven't done so already, please do listen to part one, which came out last week. Just scroll through wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, even YouTube, and you'll be able to find part one because that's where we start the journey of learning who Peter is, the kind of sacrifices that he made, where he went from doing insurance and making two hundred fifty thousand ringgit a year to essentially giving it all up, selling his BMW just when his wife had given birth to go all in into this thing called YouTube. Now, in part two. We focus solely on the YouTube business. What is it like, really, to build it from scratch? The kind of people he encountered, the betrayals he suffered, how he finds his partners, especially his two co-founders as well. What is his hiring philosophy? Which, by the way, can be summarized as: hire five, work ten, pay like eight. Why does he give a business advice of "I am not your father"? And also his dreams and hopes for the future. If you're interested. And learning what it takes to build a seven-figure YouTube content creation business in Malaysia, then this is the episode for you. And by the way, Steamy also has a weekly newsletter. So if you want to know more about what it takes to run this podcast, the kind of people and things that I'm learning, having quit my job as a lawyer, go to the show notes at soismawai.com/slash-one-two-two to find out more and click to subscribe to the newsletter. Now. Are you ready to hear Mr. Money's story? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. So I imagine people do want to take advantage of you as oh. you start to build and be recognized. <laughs> I mean, I remember when we had the Starbucks. Meeting and then there was this guy who came out and was like, "Mr. Money," and he was so happy. He wanted to take a picture with you, and you were clearly not faced. It's clearly not your first time, so there's clearly recognition there. There must have been people who came and said, "I want a slice of this." Yeah, there are. There are. <laughs> Usually, we are very careful with that.、Uh, over the years, there are some people who come and find us and try to offer to take our business to the next level.、Yeah. There are some sincere ones. There are some insincere ones. How do you evaluate? In the past, I used to just trust everyone, but today I don't. I'm very much more careful.、Yeah. How do we evaluate that? For me personally, is when someone comes and approaches, the first thing I gauge is whether does this person even talk to me about 
profits, about what do I get? If anyone come to me today and they start telling me that they can help me and they start asking me for what they can get out of this, I am a little bit more cautious already. But do I bring up that conversation? I do. I will bring up one because I don't believe that people should work for me for free. So at the end of it, I always tell them that, look, this is what I think you should be getting or what do you think you should be getting? But if they very quickly want to jump on it, then it tells me that they have this element that they want to protect themselves. It simply means that the trust level is not there. That's all. So there are also certain people who will just come and be very greedy about things. Then you want to be just disassociate. Like my opinion is don't waste time. If someone comes over, if things doesn't click, then just don't waste time. Don't bother trying. Trust me, when it comes to this part, 90% of the time, your hunch about who you can click with is correct. Yeah, I mean, you have been to parties and you have talked to people, right? And you, you go to events and you talk to people. There are certain people you're just like, yeah, they are interesting, but, but it's not the kind that revives you when you talk. Yeah. But rather, you feel tired after talking, right? You feel like you need to think a lot. It's not that they're a good person or bad person. It's just... Wavelength's different. Wavelength's different, right? Then just stay a little bit away. So the wavelength must have been really on par for CK and Frankie. I mean, how do you even convince them to jump on board? CK was working with you to 2am, 4am. <coughs> Doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Both of them share a common thread when they came in, right? Yeah. They never ask questions. Yeah. They just work. Like when I told them, where do I believe Mr. Money is going to go? All they said is, okay. Let's try it. They didn't ask me for anything. They just asked me, what time should I be here tomorrow? That's all. Serious. That's all they ask. What time should I be here tomorrow? And I just go, you don't even know how much are you being paid? (sighs) Not that I can pay you, but you don't even want to know. (laughs) No, it's okay. You must have asked them why they did that though. Yes, I asked them. They all have their answers and definitely I think I shouldn't be telling their answers for them. But I can say one thing is that they all believe in the same thing for sure, which is they all believe that the financial literacy system in Malaysia is very broken and they believe that what we are doing here can change that. Definitely, on the other hand, we are all also motivated by a little bit of money, right? In that sense, do I have a stake in it and so on? Like for example, Frankie, yes, it's very clear at the moment he came in, he made it clear that, yes, I do want to have a stake, but does he discuss with me how much a stake is? No. He just asked me the next thing, so should I be here tomorrow? What time? And that went on for six months. For six months, there was no conversation about what are you getting? There is no conversation about literally money or what's my future. It's just a pure trust. And does he get paid along that time during that period? Yeah, he does get some pay. Yeah, But it's not like the kind that is like, hey, are you going to pay me this much to work? No, no question about that. And one day, there's not even a conversation about, can we start having this conversation by when? Nope, nothing. I mean, there's two ways to think about it, right? On one hand, you'd be like, that's really dumb. Another is, that's really amazing. How do you even find these people? Mm, (laughs) So... CK was an intern when I was working in the insurance industry. Yeah. So he was our intern back then for my manager. Yeah. And when I started Mr. Money TV, my manager actually told him about it and then introduced him again to me and like, oh yeah, I haven't seen you for a very long time, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I watched some of the video. I thought the content was good, but your video quality sucked. <laughs> 
that was really frank. <laughs> no, he didn't exactly say that, yeah. right? He just said like, oh, it was really good, but I think you can, I can help you with the, the visuals <laughs> and the audio, you know? Like that. I was like, yeah, it sucked, man. <laughs> like, I don't even have a DSR right now, but yeah. if you think that you want to help me out, please do. Yeah. Yeah, he said, yeah, sure. What time do I need to be here? <laughs> and that's just how it goes, right? And... Frankie, on the other hand, I've known him for many years, 14 years old onwards, I've really known him. He came one day and we have always talked about like finance and when I started Mr. Money TV, he, he will tell you that story that they all thought, like, what the hell is this guy doing, right? <laughs> Laughed about it and stuff like that. But eventually when he got traction, then he started realizing that, hey, there could be a breach. And I've always been telling him that, look, one of the things that's really broken is because you guys who are investment banker are never willing to step out and tell the public, how does it work? So what happened is that people who don't really know actually make those basic information like some super pieces of masterclass that, that can be so super expensive. And you guys who are banker make it as a pre-requirement to even get into investment banking. But you guys just don't say anything about it. Yeah, they say, yeah, 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 that's how it goes. Then we will toy the idea. And one day when he thought like, well, I think my time with corporate is about there. You know what? We have been talking about this. Why not let's do it? Yeah, that was like, oh, okay. Now we kind of have a name a little bit. So do you, you want to come in now? Then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I say that it's not like last time when I first started, you know. Then he's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Okay, then just come out of office. Let's have a chat, right? Then he came up have a conversation. He said, this is the kind of value that I think I can bring to this company. So what do we do next? We say, great, you know, let's do something. Okay, so what time do I need to be here? That's all, <laughs> right? Again, so we did lay down at first, say that, okay, eventually this is the direction to head to. You will have some equity. Okay, no discussion first. Let's just go into that. But you're right. Is it dumb or is it smart? In my opinion, for most people, they will think that like, if you do this, it's like a privilege. Maybe you already have a background, maybe of what? Yeah, for Frankie, he already has been working for a while. He has some savings. For Chicket, no. He doesn't even have a runway. He was just fresh grad. He probably had 5000 or 6000 in his bank account over the years of savings, right? And he had to go back to work to save his own runway. So it's not a privilege in that sense. So is it smart or dumb? Now, in my opinion, this is where sometimes the luck part comes in. The luck part comes in. When you want to make a decision in your life, you can't run away from that 10% or 5% of probability that's unexplainable. But you need to use every single drop of brain juice to figure out, is this really what you want first? And for them, the benefit of that period, it's kind of like a prototyping for them. Is this the life that I want? And when they came in for one week, two weeks, you will kind of know, is this the life that I want already? Then when you know that this is the life that I want, then you will have more answers or more evidence to support is this the way to go but if you're not even willing to give that one week to try then you will never know so that's why if you want to straight away go into something and then you want to say i want to get paid for even trying then congratulations you're looking for a job then you will get a job you will never get a share but if you come in with an attitude of trying for free you can aim for something bigger but also you need to be smart to protect yourself like for example, for me, I try to be honest. Lah. I can tell you, I try to be very honest with them. So we have a lot of hard conversation up front. Yeah. So I tell them up front that look, this is where we could go, but I'm not going to have this conversation until then. And when's that then? I'm so sorry, I got no answer for you. So there's no guessing room. 
But at least that's a target for everyone. Yes, that's right. So I have to say that like very often, like young people out there, if you're looking for a new job, you are thinking about wanting to try something. The best way is prototype it. Go to that place, give it a try, ask this person, can I shadow you, hop on you with this project for free for a while? What's the pay? No need, no need, don't talk about pay. Let's just do it. Give it all you can to do. Because trust me, yes, you may be very busy and you're going to be doing it and you'll be wondering yourself, I don't have time for it. If you're going to go into it full-time doing it, you're going to be living that life where it's no time and then you're going to do it. So this is your best time to figure out when you're tired and you're still doing it, do you enjoy it? If you're tired and you're doing it, you don't enjoy it, you just don't enjoy it, then don't waste your time. Figure out something else. Is there another example of someone who has also done the same thing and figured out what they want to do? I would say, if you say within my office, yeah, <laughs> I, I think Matt, there right? I was go. just telling you about Matt, right? So Matt is this school kid. Uh, when we first got a letter one day, when we first started Mr. Money TV, 2020, I still recall, we moved into the office, went to hire staff. He sent in an email saying that he's a 15-year-old boy and he right now is looking for a part-time job. But the reason why he can't find us is because he saw a video, he likes it and he believed that he can offer value in terms of his perspective towards Gen Z. And we thought it was such a well-written mail, you see. He just started editing. We saw the video is okay. It's not super great, but we brought him in because it's just too interesting. How can a 15-year-old boy come and tell you this, right? Literally, I asked him like, okay, if I hire you, are you sure it's legal? Is your parents really okay? Can you let your father meet me? And he's like, Oh yeah, sure. So he asked his dad, he said, say, never mind, I don't want to meet them, just do whatever you like, you know. So I said, like, okay, uncle, sure, man. His dad's a professor, by the way. <laughs> and his brother is a genius who is on a scholarship in Singapore. So he is considered a not so smart one, but he's also the top scorer in his school. And that's the not so smart yeah. one. <laughs> I think the good thing about him is that being a young guy, he comes in without much of a pressure. He just wants to learn as much as he can. Like literally, he just enjoys himself learning. So he tend to be in that attitude and because of that, he did very well with us. Uh, he started learning our editing style. He got better, 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 better at it. For those who actually watch and they start watching until like about 2021, it was still his video. Then he left, went back and studied for his SPM for one year. Then he came back recently. And this time around when he came back, so different. He just went so much more matured. He doesn't sound like a 20 plus year old even. He sounds almost like a almost 30 year old, but you can obviously see that experience gap in terms of life, but in terms of handling work, like senior, definitely. Yeah. And he is just so giving everything, you know, like you set a standard here and he would deliver something here because his standard is not based on what you tell him, but what he believes he can do best. And maybe because he's young, right? So he doesn't have that like, uh, I'm only going to do as much as I'm being paid for. Or I got other things, right? He's just, I enjoy doing all this. Let me have fun. If I get paid, it's okay. So literally when he comes in, when we ask him this time around, like he's just going to be here for a while before he goes into his college. How much you want? He's like, well, anything, man. Anything. <laughs> then you're like, so zero. Then he laugh. Oh, no la, no la. <laughs> 800k. <laughs> but in the end, we pay him a fresh grad salary. Yeah, we, we pay him full time. Yeah, because I told him upfront that look, yes, I think if I pay 2000, you'll be happy, but forget about it. For here, the standard is based on your work. Yep. 
So I think the best that I can do for you at this point is a fresh grad. Mm-hmm. And also because this is a budget that I was supposed to use to hire someone else. Uh. So I'm just going to give it over. Uh. <laughs> so that's the thing. Uh. Speaking of pay, you have this philosophy of hire five, work 10, pay eight. Yes. What is that? So this is a philosophy, not from me, but I, I read from a book called Good to Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that anyone who wants to do business management or think about starting a business, read the book, man. It's one of the best books around, classic, right? Written by researchers rather than gurus. So this story is because they talked about this particular steel mill in the US where their staff are all farmers. So unlike normal steel mill that is built in other places, they purposely go to places where there's farmers traditional industries, farmer. Because they say that to get them to wake up with that discipline is not something that can be trained. You can't train people. That comes down to family education. But number one, once they have the discipline, then what we do is we motivate them by paying them more. But I also expect more from you. So I hire five, but we work like we are 10 people and we pay them eight. So it becomes a win-win. I don't have to pay you less. I can pay more than what the market is paying, but you are more than happy and willingly work more than you're supposed to. And he doesn't mean the hours. He meant it by productivity level. So his meal with the same number of people, the productivity level is way higher than other meals. Their shift starts at 8. The people will be there at 7.30 to prepare and start planning. And by 8, it's work. It's not planning. So it's like, you know how we all feature at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock? You have coffee, you makan, everything before you start? Nope. You start work, you start work. So that is how it goes there. And because of that, I try to implement the same philosophy here where I tell all myself the same thing and I adopt the exact same thing. That's why I'm not your father. <laughs> That's how it came about, right? I'm not your father. Because as an owner, as an employer, there's only that much I can do. I can help you, I can give you a platform, but it's not my duty to teach you to wake up early. That is in your family to run. That's your education overall. To be polite, to be sociable, all this is nothing to do with me. My job is just to give you a platform and tell you what works, what doesn't. And if you fit, congratulations. You're going to do well here. It comes in a package. I'm not your father. (laughs) Hire five, work ten, pay eight, right? Yeah. So that's the idea behind how to sieve through and find the right people. Mm. You have a very interesting and extensive hiring process. Yes. To a certain extent, I think we are quite elaborated for a very small company. But it's important to get the right person. So I always tell my staff this one thing. We are just a platform. If you manage to work, if you manage to stay here, it is not because you're better than anyone else. It's just you're more fitting here. If you don't get to work here after a while where you have to leave or anything, it's again not because you're not good, but because it's not fitting. That's all. It's all about fitting. Mm. I always tell them that we are like a bus heading towards one direction. If it's the right direction that you're heading to, you hop on. If it's not, you hop off. My job is not to tell you where to go. My job is to drive to that direction. So if you like the direction, come along. If you don't like the direction, please get off. So that is the idea behind it. So for us, we have three stages of interview, although we don't follow religiously sometimes, but we used to follow very religiously. Yeah, as things got very busy and the hiring turnover faster, sometimes we don't, but generally we do. And when we don't, we usually end up screwing up. I can tell you that. Yeah. 
So we have a first phase where we give a phone call yeah. and that phone call, I'll talk nothing about work. I'll just talk about you. Mm. Where I want to find out, why do I have a phone call? The first thing is this. If you can talk to me, then it shows that you can communicate. If you can't even talk, you need face to face. That I got a problem. It means you don't know how to communicate. So, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right? And in that conversation, we'll be talking a lot about them as a character. So, that will be based on the kind of job that I want to hire at the point. There's a general set of kind of character that I'm looking for. Like, for example, the person has to be spontaneous enough. The person has to be crazy enough. The person has to be daring enough, adventurous enough. That kind of thing, right? Because if you yourself is not a spontaneous person, it's hard for you to work in a startup. Mm -hmm. You will want things to be rigid. And I can't offer that at this level in my work. So these are all the things that we want. Now, number two, once you pass that, then we'll call you in for an, for an interview. We will say that the first part of the interview is I interview you. The next part is you interview us. So how does that work? The first part, I'll be asking you a bunch of questions. We'll start dwelling it a little bit into work, how you manage and everything all. Look for that kind of cultural fit further. And then it's for you to ask any question and even interact with my staff for 10-20 minutes. So when you interact with our staff, we leave you there. We don't disturb you. We don't stop you from answering any question. We will just even walk off into our own meeting room and do our own things. Because you're going to be working here. If I'm going to stop you, it may not be a sincere conversation. So I want you to get whatever you want to get here. Because eventually you'll find out one. So if I'm really not on par, my company is not good enough, then see you, bye-bye. That's all. La. If you, after talk to myself, you realize something, you don't work here, good. La. You know, then I don't need to waste time firing you also in future, ma, right? So that's the next part. And the last part is the part where we really go into a more in-depth interview where we really, really drill down into a lot of stuff. So first part is my selection for basic stuff. Second part is a mutual selection. Third part is I select you again. When did you decide I actually want to hire staff? Because it's very easy right, for YouTubers run their own little thing and it's very profitable. If I want to shut it down, I can shut it down. When you have a business, you have employees, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, so if you're thinking about it as a business, then it is not as easy like an influencer because an influencer, what you do is that you just hire a part-time production guy, hire a part-time videographer, then get a job done. Actually, in fact, it's very good. Profit margin way higher. Everything is better. I also don't know why we do this, but yeah, we end up doing this. Your Porsche is still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we end up doing this. I have to say that for us, when we look at hiring, we don't simply hire, but we pay a lot of attention to workflow and we find out where in workflow we are stuck. First, we try to solve it internally. If we can't solve it internally and it accumulate to be a work that is enough for one person to handle, then we start hiring. Yeah, and that person if be able to handle this kind of work. We also get our staff involved in the hiring journey in that sense. Uh, number one, getting them to talk to them. Number two, also we ask our staff, do you need people? So very much unlike normal corporates, you ask anyone, they sure say they need help. One. Here they won't. Why? Because we have a profit sharing base. So we also teach them finance, very simple. You need more people to help you the work, you get less profit. So you decide. So literally, our staff are the one who will tell us like, please don't hire or hire. So if they tell us they hire, I just need to remind them again. You do realize that you're going to get less. Huh? And usually that's when they'll say no or yes. And when they say yes, it means that they know that they really can't handle. So I get them involved huh, in that sense. So you are fully transparent with the numbers with all of your stuff. 
Oh yeah. They know how much a company makes. They know how much is each project. Wow. We don't hide. We are very honest about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as much as we can. The numbers are clear. Every year we'll do a review. Every quarterly or so we do a review. Will and you? even if the roles are experimental and yep. we are not sure whether it's going to do well, we also tell them up front that it's experimenting right now. You're going to be very lost. <laughs> but bear with me, you know, it's like that. Would you ever go down the Ali Abda route and share your numbers in public on YouTube? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Yeah. But I can say that we are profitable from the start. We have been very profitable from the start. The company has been growing by... 100% year on yen. Yeah, but that's like two years record, right? <laughs> <laughs> two to three years record. We have crossed seven figures. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, in that few years from that growth, yeah, it's very impressive because... Everyone it, is like, oh no, I don't have enough money during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that, then it, it grew. La. But yeah. but are we rich? No. La. I think last year, the bonus at the highest was a couple of months, right? Wow. A couple of months. It's not the best in the whole world, but mm. it's pretty good for us media startup especially. Uh. So I have to ask, how do you make money? How do you do so well? It cannot be through <laughs> AdSense because it doesn't pay well. And most of your audience, I imagine, would be Malaysians. So CPM is even lower than Yes. US. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. If, if you're only going to depend on YouTube AdSense, you better just go to overseas. <laughs> yeah, their AdSense dollar is better here. It's like three times lower. You will die. Yeah, Singapore still can survive, by the way. Mm. You will do very well, just depending on AdSense. Malaysia, no. Yeah, you are going to suffer. So you need to have a good business model where it is more about content sponsorship and so on. That's why time to time our audience will see us having brands involved in some of our content. Because you don't pay me, dude. Yeah, they have to pay, foot the bill. So there's going to be ads. Simple as that. You interviewed Wei Chong recently from Work Salary Man. Say the same thing to me. They're like, we're just unapologetic. Hey, we need to pay ourselves. Yeah. So it's sponsored. Correct, yeah. So yeah. that's why for a very long time, we didn't really do classes because... Mm. We will only do classes if it's being sponsored by a bank or any financial institution. Then we'll do classes because they take half the fee and then we get our student to pay half the fee. And now we are starting to think about doing classes even without sponsorship. And we also tell people up front, there's no free lunch. I'm not a millionaire or multi-millionaire that has made it in life. So I just want to do some charity and help you by sharing my knowledge. I'm so sorry, bro. I need to pay my bills, man. Yeah. So I can teach, but... I need to get my fair value out of teaching. That's all, yep. right? Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> How did you evaluate what's a priority during different stages of your company? What kind of product to focus on, what to create and give? It always goes down to this one thing, right? Okay, let me just, I was just talking to this young entrepreneur the other day, which I find that this is something very common among people who just started their business. They have a million and one ideas. They have one million and one ways to make money. When they tell you one thing, it tends to link up into another 10 million things. So usually the problem is you have too many ways to make money. But I always believe that you need to be very practical. So one of the methods that I use, that I also teach other people who does coaching with me. So I actually run some small coaching for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't announce the word because it's free. Uh, yeah, well, it's just that, now you just have. <laughs> uh, okay, la, yeah. So yeah, you Sorry, can tell me, la, but I may not say yes to it. Yeah. Because I only have that much of time, right? Sure. And also because I'm experimenting on certain syllabuses that I'm, yes. I'm thinking about doing. Yeah. 
one of the methods that I use personally is number one, listing down what is my USP of my product. So I will have this idea number one, okay, I have this product and I think this product, the best thing is it solve this problem. So who can use it? Then that, that's where the problem start, right? They'll yeah. go like, this can use other, can, a million and one people can use it. Yeah, they will say their product is the best thing in the world that everyone can use. But the truth is, uh, it's not. So what you want to do is to rank it in priorities. For your product, the best feature will be used by who? Who is the most sought after feature? That is that group of people that you want to target first. And with that, you want to ask yourself this question. Out of this target group of people that you want to target, what are the subgroup within? So for example, that day, that guy, his business is providing some sort of e-com solution. So I asked him, who are the target market? There's only two people who will be interested in service. Number one, e-com brand owners. Number two, accountants. Okay? So he wants to target accountants. But the truth is, people who are interested in this will likely be e-com owners. And here's where I notice a lot of entrepreneurs will die, die want to still go for that group that they believe that they want to do things for, right? Because it's the novelty of it, the idea of it, right? The romanticism behind it. Now, I'm very, very practical person. When you list down these two, the people who are going to come is from e-com entrepreneurs. Then you should target e-com entrepreneurs first because that's your number one reachable group. They are the number one group they are willing to pay. So there's this list that you need to play with. Like, who are these people who can pay? Who are these people that is within your reach? Who are these people that are not within your reach? They rank them accordingly. They target that group first. You don't go with like, I must have accountant. You sure die. Sure die. Sure Lawson. Now, because once you target the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs love your service, guess who will come along later and say, hey, let me use your service as well because I have a bunch of customers who need that. The accountants, because as they serve the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur will tell them, then these people will come to you. So you don't need to be the super app on the first day. You only need to get good at one thing. And I think along my journey building Mr. Money from start until today, I've met a lot of people who we started in the earlier days in common ground and some of them survived, some of them don't. And I realized that many of them who didn't survive is because of this. They love the novelty of their business idea, but they don't understand that business is not about novelty. There's a lot more to do with that. You need to have a very clear analytic mind. Like for me, I told people this, if it requires for me to sweep the floor, that's what am I going to do? I'm just going to sweep the floor. It's not that I'm all the way high up. So you need to have the practicality of understanding what your business is and what it fits your market. Because the definition of business is very simple. Are you solving a problem? Are you solving a problem? So if you forget that your business is about solving a problem, that's when you fall in love with your idea. And that's when you will fail. Hey, Simis. Interrupting this just to say, I've left law. And this is essentially my year of yes to meet, to explore, to see what's really out there beyond the world of law, while of course also doing the steamy, which comes out every single Sunday. Now, the thing is, I've started to also help other people to build their personal brand. I spent the past three years essentially digging deep to the lives of Olympians, Fang C-suite executives, four-star generals, and now YouTuber and viral TikTokers as well. And what I've learned is that LinkedIn is an amazing platform to allow me to tell this story, to allow other people to share their stories, what they're passionate about, what they're trying to do to change the people, to change the community, the world around them. 
So if you're interested in also learning how to build a LinkedIn personal brand, do reach out because that's what I'm helping people do right now. Just drop me an email at sodismawai at gmail.com and let's get started. When people see that you're solving a problem and they think, ooh, I could do that, I'm going to copy you. So that's quite rampant. Colin Summer talked about it recently on plagiarism. It's quite easy to reverse engineer what content creators do. Yeah, yeah. How do you create a moat around yourself? Okay, when it comes to that, I have to say that for content creating, it's one of the easiest barrier of entry. So definitely being a first mover gives you some sort of advantage. But number two, because of it being a content, there is also one part of it that's very hard to be replaced. Personality. But it's also the most risky part of this business. Yeah. If you fall, if you're sick. That's right. Yeah. So for us, the mode is definitely not a very good one, which is personality. Mm. But on the other hand is how we handle things, how we create a whole business model surrounding this, which is a bit of a, not to say very hard to enter, but it's not easy as well. It's kind of like when you look at sales.com, Yeah, is it hard to be where they are? No. But it's hard to get there. Lah. And to get there, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of years because you just somehow need the right skill, the right yeah. place at the right time, the right people, the right timing, the right projects. Mm. And to a certain extent, we are able to pull that off so far is because we have been also running businesses in the past. We have already had our own set of networks. We already have our own way of thinking about things. We had real business experience where I was a sales guy. I understood how this marketing industry worked. So to say to put a moat around myself, I have to say that it is very difficult to really articulate that. And I'll be honest, even if I really can articulate it, do I really want to tell it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I have to say that I, I will not tell lightly. Yes. Yeah, because the truth is, that I already know that it's reverse engineerable already. And so far, I have I have to say that it's not easy to do what we do. Yeah, but about there lah, about there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you talk about personality because that's the next thing I want to talk about, the Mr. Money brand. As I said to you before, when I look at you, the first name that comes to mind is Mr. Money. And I have to remind myself what he's actually called, Peter. (laughs) You have really got the brand down. How did you do it? I know you always tell me to read Donald Miller's book. Okay, I know I'm reading it. (laughs) But how have you implemented it such that it's just so prevalent? I know my friends think of you as Mr. Money. It's not a name. It's Mr. Money. (laughs) So so it's a very conscious decision. When I first started... I asked myself, should the name be Peter Yong or mm. something else? And I thought to myself that Peter Yong will die. <laughs> Mr. Money may not die. Mm. It's kind of Pringles, that face, <laughs> right? Yeah, Eventually, it'll be known as the potato chips, right? Yeah. So that's the same idea there. Same thing, Colonel, KFC, stuff like that. That's what I want to build. Yeah. At the start, definitely was a very simple and easy decision. Money is... Money, right? Yeah. When you hear the word Mr. Money, no explanation needed, man. <laughs> yes. What else is there to explain, right? Yeah. Just wait for Mrs. Money to come. <laughs> yeah, correct. So there's not, nothing much to talk about. And yeah. But yes, it's not a beautiful name. A lot of people want something more 
cliche and more mm. nice, right? Mm. But I'm a believer of the market is going to be more and more raw. It's not like last time that you want Kizu or something like that. People don't want that. Yeah. You know, might as well you just tell me that Mr. Cheese, cheesecake. <laughs> I'll remember that. Or like yeah. Pretzel House, Park Bagel. It's very straightforward. Yeah. No guessing needed because people are getting more and more lazy. Let's yeah. put it this way. So that's number one. So how did I end up building a brand is because you also stay aligned to the brand. Now, to build a brand, ultimately, it's a very conscious decision-making journey. For example, we have made it a point to say that we will not do very expensive financial courses. And will I charge high sometimes? Yes, I will. Because if I'm no bank sponsor, I'm not going to charge low because I need to make my money. But you also make it a profit, that a point or conscious purpose that you're not going to be using very predatory selling tactics. Like, for example, you know how you join certain masterclass, they will start telling you that, okay, this course is like that, da, 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 you only got five more minutes, uh, that kind of thing, right? Yes. So we also very consciously try our very best to avoid those kind of things. And we're very upfront that, okay, look, when I say that you come to my class, I'm going to teach you, for example, when we did recent rounds of a dividend investing workshop. I make sure my goal is that tomorrow when you finish my class, you can really buy a dividend stock. But I'll also tell you upfront the parameter is you only be able to buy this kind of dividend stock. The reason being is because the other kind of dividend stock, you will need to understand a lot more things, which in these two hours, I can't feed you. Yeah, so this two hour thing, it's okay. But trust me, you can go out and buy it. So that two hours is really about education. It has nothing to do with I grew up in a poor family. I can make it today. You can make it as well. You know, <laughs> come and commit with me. You know, motivational uh, speaker. You, you, you know how it works, right? Yeah, which I don't. Mm. I just tell you from what are the facts. And then, yeah, I'll after that tell you like, hey, moving ahead, what's next? You need to learn CDEFG. And I'm so sorry, CDEFG is a five-day thing. So yeah, I'm going to charge you upsell. money, man. I'll just tell you up front, I'm going to charge you money. You want, you come. You don't want, see you, bye-bye. <laughs> so it's also very straightforward about that. And we try our very best to make prices at an affordable level. So that's why like certain things I don't do, like one-to-one -one coaching. There are students who offer us 20000 for one-to-one -one coaching. Yeah, for like five sessions, 10 sessions. Oh, wow. We have to consciously reject that. Because number one, I ask myself this question, do I think my time worth more than that? Yeah, I think I worth more than 20,000. That's number one. Number two, if I start taking that, it's going to take away my time to do other things and I'll need to start making money again with that. Then I'll need to start upselling people this kind of $20,000 courses, which is again, not the thing that I want. So you need to make this kind of very conscious decisions to say, nope, I'm going to earn less money or forego certain opportunities I shouldn't say earn less money. I should just say forego opportunities. Short-term opportunities yeah. for long-term goals. Yes. To, to stay true to the brand and do well in it. So that is that kind of things that help with brand building. I mean, you just look at someone like so I'm Jen, right? Yeah. She is one of the very few female comedians around. Mm -hmm. And she stay true to it. You don't see her posting up stuff where she's at the beach showing bikinis, running around, dancing funny stuff just to... Don't. She don't do that because that's not her thing. That's not her brand. Let's look at Red, right? Red's idea is I do art without painting and so on point coming out with the book, right? Yes. And you won't see her paint stuff <laughs> to a certain <laughs> extent, right? If it has anything that has to do with painting, it will be more than just painting. Mm. Yeah. And so there is that 
branding part, right, that requires you to be very conscious about every single decision that you're going to make. And that's the only thing that I can say about like how we built Mr. Money TV. Yeah. And so these days we are a bit happy because we are starting to go out in the streets and there are some people who will go like, hey, you guys are from Mr. Money TV. You are that Mr. Money and you are that Frankie from Mr. Money. Oh. Or either you are that Peter from Mr. Money. So whenever I hear people calling me Peter from Mr. Money, I feel very happy. Because <laughs> like, yes, it's starting to be more like Pringles, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea behind it. Then it becomes less about me, but more about the brand. Because ultimately the idea is anyone can be Mr. Money. As long as you learn about finance, you can be Mr. Money. That's the idea. Do you think a further way forward is you need to bring more of your staff on so it's not just you and Frankie? We have been trying to convince our staff, some of them, <laughs> yeah, but... but uh, Work in no progress. La. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them don't really want that. <laughs> That's fair enough. What about on a personal level? Because obviously when you go out, you never know when you're going to meet someone. Do you think, oh, I need to, even in my personal life, be on brand, whatever that looks like? So I made a very conscious decision to just be myself. So a lot of people have said this, that if they see me in real life and they see me outside on the show and everything, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, because I figured that I'm not very good in lying. It's not that I don't lie. It's just that I'm not very good at lying. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so remember the idea that I do what you're very good at? Yeah. I think I'm, I'm better at just being myself. <laughs> so I just be myself. La. I don't curate a specific idea of how I am. What you see is what you get. La. What has been the lowest point for you? Didn't you say in the video that you almost closed at one point? Oh, okay. That, that was a big clickbaity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next thing we're going to talk about. But yes. <laughs> in the Mr. Money TV time, yeah. I have to say Mr. Money TV so far, everything has been very good. The only time that things are bad is because I will be paranoid about things. So I'm a functional paranoia. So what does that mean is you are always wondering about how things can go wrong and how you're going to go irrelevant, how things are going to go bad and stuff like that. But it's not the kind that makes you depressed and don't move, but rather you are functionally thinking about solution and what to do next. Mm -hmm. So they're quite functional paranoid, which is also a very common trait for if you look at the book, Good to Great, most of the leaders are like that. And in fact, I came to learn that even good content creators are like that. They often have this worry that they're going to be irrelevant, that they're not going to be doing well. And because of that pressure, they keep pushing themselves to do better. Yeah. Now, so we don't really have a time that we are like, oh, everything is down, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of play situation in my brain that like, then I'll stress them out. Uh. Then I'll tell them like, no, 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 no. Things look good. You think it look good, but it's not, bro. <laughs> Let me show you that. So I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so this kind of thing. You must have changed from the time you started this to now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Change. A lot, a lot. <laughs> I become more cynical, more skeptical. Oh, no. <laughs> but still helping people. I, I, I think the cynical, skeptical part is, like I said, the insincere and sincere sure. world part, right? Yeah. On the other hand, I think one thing is, I always think that the hardest thing is still soft skills. Mm. And, and on that part, I think I change a lot. I think one of the things is that in the past, I would tell everything. I would tell everything, right? Until today, I still do tell quite a lot of stuff. I'm still pretty open about what I share with you're people. You're not telling us how much you're earning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my partner will be like, Oi, gila, I went tell. Yeah. <laughs> Click big <Yeah>. title. <laughs> so we, we don't do that, right? Yeah, but what am I trying to say is that like, for example, there are certain things that you're not ready to do then don't tell, for example. Yeah. I used to be the kind of person where in a meeting, 
let's say I'll tell you, okay, let's sit down here, let's talk. Okay, so next three months, we're going to do A, B, C. Then I'll start going to F, G, H, I, J. So people feel very confused. But my logic is, I already told you next three months, we're going to do A, B, C. Then three months later, we will explore I, G, H. Or sometimes it is in the meeting, I finish the meeting here after lunchtime, then I'll say, hey, you know, as you're going to do ABC, right? Do you know after that, when you finish, you can do IGH? And they get so confused. And I always ask myself, what's wrong with you guys? Did I just tell you this, what we're going to do in the next three months? And I learned that, no, as a leader, your words have a lot more significant than you were an employee. For example, if you're an employee, even if you're a manager or something like that, or, or just a supervisor or your colleague, you can go like, eh, but I thought uh, that their boss said this. Your friend won't be so move on you. He'll be just like, like, lo, you thought, because uh, you're my colleague. Uh. But if your boss suddenly walks out and says, uh, why are you doing that? Uh, you will be a bit like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought yesterday you told me to do this, bro. Like, <laughs> But actually your boss just wanted to say, why are you doing that? Because he just wanted to ask further some other question. He may not even questioning, you know, he just, but because you're a boss. So suddenly you will realize that as a leader, you have to be very, very, very careful with your words. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I change quite a bit in terms of what I reveal, what I tell. So a boss can never be friends with his colleagues? I think that there is always a small boundary at least. Yeah. No matter how close you are with your colleagues, even here, my colleagues scold me and sometimes my staff don't <laughs> want to scold me, right? Yeah. But the nature of you being a boss, no matter how close you are with them, they will still know that you're a boss. And that is important. Yeah. That is, to a certain extent, I feel regretful, but I think it's necessary because it also sets boundaries. Like one of the things here is because we have three people, so I'm more relational. So I'll go down to the nitty gritty. Sometimes I even know like what's happening in my staff's life. Who do they like? What's going on in their dating life? They'll even tell me these kind of things. But then you become very, very close. Ma. So then sometimes with that, like for example, if I know about a dating life, right? And then you broke up. I can't be so cruel and tomorrow tell you to do something, right? Do work, you owe me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like your performance drop, then like, ah, it's okay because... So you see the complication there? Because if I didn't know and I expect you to do, it's normal. But if I knew and I expect you to do, I'm not being a kind person. So those complications. So at least we have three people where we'll all play a very different role. Like CK is less... He doesn't want to know what happened in your dating life. If you tell him, he's not going to answer. He's just going to like... Blank face. Yeah, he just doesn't <laughs> want to respond to all those kind of things, right? So I'm the kind that I'll continue joking. I'll give advice. I'll talk. <laughs> I'll laugh. Frankie is just being Frankie. He will have that surface talk with you, but maybe not go too deep, right? <laughs> but it's useful. Lah. If I notice that if it hits a place where like, whoa, it's going to get too personal, I will pull back also. I will just stop asking questions. I will stop going there. And I will keep a bit of a distance, but I will still come and say, look, I'm not a father. <laughs> so that's when that thing comes in. I'll say like, I understand that you're going through a tough time, but do understand that I'm not your father. Mm -hmm. So I think these are the things that you need to do to get out of this situation, but I'm not a therapist. So I'm not going to do that. Listen to you, probe you for question, you know, help you find your soul, you know, <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do that because I'm not a therapist. I'm not a father. But I can tell you from what I've observed, you need to do A, B, C, D. Whether you like it or not, I'm telling you as a friend, as a colleague, as someone who cares. Then I'll just stop it there. 
and I'll say, are you okay? Let's talk about work. So if this goes on, then this will happen. Because I know you're going through this, if you need a break, please tell me. But if you don't need a break, then make sure you can deliver. So it's very clear expectations. And yeah, that's why I'm not a father. <laughs> what if it's the more professional issue? For instance, hypothetically, Mr. Money was facing issues. You might have to close in two, three months. To what extent do you tell your employees? I will tell them even before we face that issue. Well, like, they do have access to your numbers. Yep, <laughs> correct. I mean, they don't get all-time access, but mm. I'm very transparent once they ask or like if I think there's a need to inform. Let me give you an example. If I see our sales dropping, I would bring them in. I would tell them upfront like, look, with these numbers, in a year, it will be this number. Then I will need to fire people. If you don't want to get there, this is what we need to do. So are you on board or are you not? I get your consensus even before that happens. So I don't have to go there. But I imagine you can probably only do that when you're a small team. If you yes, really grow right. 100, 200. Nope, you cannot do that. So that, that's why it's very important. Your first 10 to 20 hires, yeah. you are not hiring just people. You're hiring future leaders. And that's what you need to treat them to be. Because they are going to be your voice to continue on the culture in the company. If they can't follow that, it's better to forget about it. That's why you tell them one year ahead. Why you tell them one year ahead that if things go like that for three, it's very paranoid. La. Like just three months, yeah. sales drop a bit and come on, it's Hari Raya, you know, or like something like that, right? But why do I do that? Because if you get too jittery about it and you decide to quit, great. You're definitely not the leader quality here. <laughs> then I will tell you, congratulations, you found a better path for yourself. The door is there. <laughs> and I'll celebrate for you because again, it's not that you're bad, but you don't fit. Yeah. That's all. Speaking of future leaders, the future, and you also said ABC, FIJ. I say the character. <laughs> <laughs> what is XYZ? For Mr. Money TV? Yep. I have to say in a very vague manner. FGH. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Sorry, go on. I, I, I can't give you a very, very clear picture. La, but it's just very, very vague, right? Yeah. The reason why I can't give you a very, very clear picture partially is because also I don't get a very clear clarity on that yet. You know how visions are, mm. right? So visions are always vague. The clarity part is just this. To be the number one financial resource in Malaysia. Yeah, that will be the most clear part. So our mission is to make financial literacy accessible to people. But I think that I'm still struggling to try to make people understand that financial literacy is more than just understanding money, but it's also understanding yourself. So there is more to life than money. I don't know how to phrase that word, but the point is that there's more to that. And a big part about it is how you live your life, your values, your perspective, how you design a life. Because ultimately money is just a tool to make you happy. You shouldn't get so so riled up chasing it and forgetting about what makes you really happy. So if your deal is to build a family, to spend more time to raise your children, maybe an income of twenty to 30000 as a family, moving over to Kedah could be a good choice for you. So money is just part of it. It's a lot about life design, I would say. I heard from CK, I should ask you about Hershey's well. <laughs> oh, that's why you know so much. <laughs> yeah, CK will warm it. Hey, hear me talk again. Yeah. yeah, the other day he heard this podcast as well okay. from this another and you cried, lady. Right? 
Yeah, 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 mm, yeah. Told me. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, wow, if you will listen to the podcast, uh, it must be quite good. Because <laughs> he won't vomit in here, my wife. Hershey's Town, that is something that really inspired me. Yeah. yeah. The, the story was this Hershey's chocolate, instead of like making life difficult for their people, paying them less, what he did was that he bought a small town in this unknown place. He created a whole economy for them there. It was during that time when there was no electricity. It was the first few towns where electricity has warm water and stuff like that. Ultimately, what he did is that whatever profit that goes to there helps to take care of the people as a trust fund, right? So Hershey until today is trust. It's a fact. It's it's, it's run by a trust, right? And they even have orphanages. They have like children's school education and stuff like that. And ultimately, that's what I dream. I I dream of. Yeah. But I know that it's very too far fetched, so I don't talk about it too much. Again, you don't go too far because people will be like, what the hell do you want to do, right? Mm. But deep down within me, that's why my challenge is to always tell myself that it's okay that you don't drive a Porsche. It's okay because ultimately, you want to make sure that whoever that's near you mm. will get impacted. And that for me is more important than anything else. And one of the reasons why I'm willing to share a lot of things, I dangerously share sometimes, is because sometimes I ask myself this question. Yes, by not sharing, I may maintain that age, but... If I share this and someone get benefited from it, and if he is genuine, he can do well and he can help another bunch of people, will that be a better return than me just holding on an age? Maybe. So I'm willing to risk it sometimes. On the other hand is that idea that, yes, I may not be able to build a Hershey's town, which save a lot of people, help a lot of people and so on, but at least every single one who works with me or partners with me is my Hershey town. That's my idea behind her. Yeah, so sometimes I end up, like the other day, I was just calling a few friends, telling them about like, hey, you know, my client want to get these few things, right? And I think you are the right person for it. And they started asking me, are you an agency? I'm like, bro, no, man, I don't get a single dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I know that if go through agencies, sometimes it's going to take too long and you get a cut and stuff like that. So might as well, I just introduce you directly, then you get to earn more as well. I don't take a single dollar. Yeah, la, that's the idea. Just yeah. before we wrap up, the biggest Hershey town would be your two sons. How do you see them growing up to be? What kind of legacy do you leave for them? For me, once again, if I talk about my audience, I don't really dwell on it too much mm. because I don't want to get too disappointed. But in brief general, they remember me as the guy who inspired them that there's more than just money. And money is not that scary. If really it's personal about what I am looking at, it will be about my family and friends, especially for my sons. I want to be remembered that I dare to pursue a dream, that there's this courage to pursue a dream wherever you are in life. And when you do it, you don't do it in such a way where it's a sky in the castle, but there's practicality in it, that you're doing it intelligently. Yeah, but in terms of audience, it's a very general one. Ultimately, if I just stop producing video three months, they'll forget me, put it this way. <laughs> Yeah, we are all human beings. Yes. But for my children, for my family, for my partners, I want to be remembered as a guy who will not stop pursuing for what he really believes. I normally wrap up with the same questions. So the first is this. Do you feel like you have found your why? Yeah. And what kind of legacy you want to leave behind? To be a person who lives to his fullest and always pursuing for it. Mm. I think a lot of people have the idea that the why is a destination. For me, the why is a process. It is about 
a daily pursuing, but yet at the same time contented. So that's the idea behind. And what are the most important qualities of a successful person? The ability to give. Or how many people around you that is impacted by your life. I think that's the most important qualities of a successful person. And where can people go to find out more about what you're doing, follow you, support you? Definitely our YouTube, Mr. Mm-hmm. Money TV mm-hmm. and Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. TikTok, LinkedIn. Yeah, all this. Okay, I'll drop all the links in the show notes. Anything else you'd like to share? I think for everyone here, if you are still wondering what is your why, I don't think you're going to figure it out sitting in the basement wondering about it. The best way is actually go out and try things. And as you try new things, you learn to fall in love with the new thing or it just piques your curiosity much more that makes you willing to spend more time on it, then it's worth pursuing. But as you pursue it, do remember that you will get bored. And that is very normal. Because just like learning piano or any music lessons, you will notice that grade 5, grade 6 time, it's a boring time where you're just going to hone in your skill set even further. And it's only going to get exciting when you hit that grade 8, grade 7 because Mm -hmm. that's when you start learning new things again. So if you always give up when things are going to be boring, then you will never ever find that why. And that was the end of episode 122, part 2. The show notes and transcript can be found at solismawai.com forward slash 122. This interview was recorded in person. So if you'd like to watch the YouTube version of this podcast, and all the other episodes before it, just head over to YouTube and look for the So This Is Why podcast. And do stick around for next Sunday, because we'll be meeting the head of Metaverse at Decentraland. She happens to have a PhD in architecture and urbanism, fell into the world of XR tech, became a digital nomad, and found her way into the Web3 space, working with some of the most famous fashion brands in the world, including Gucci, Burberry, Dolce & Gabbana, and Louis Vuitton. So do stick around, check out the other steamy episodes, subscribe if you haven't done so already, and see you next Sunday.